I'm PJ Stevens with my PJ Tips podcast on leading business change. And today I'd like to welcome Roger Black, one of Great Britain's most significant individual athletes, particularly in the 400 metres. He's won the Olympic and World Silvers. Um, he's going to talk to us a little bit about his leadership journey as an individual athlete and coming together in 1991 and winning the 4x400 metre relay. He's also a superb speaker, entrepreneur and businessman. So, Roger, if you would, an introduction from you, sir. Ah, well, I think you've made it very nicely there, PJ. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yes, um, well, I'm 55 now. started my athletic career when I was 18 <laughs> after messing up my A-levels and never thought that I would become a full-time athlete. I was going to be a doctor, but fate played its hand and in some ways the rest is history. had an athletics career from the age of 18 till I retired in 1998. I suppose my greatest achievement, well, I don't suppose, I know my greatest achievement were well, two, winning the world, the Olympic silver medal in the 400 metres in 1996 behind the the legendary Michael Johnson in the 400 metres and and being part of the relay team with Chris Akabusi, John Regis and Derek Redmond in 1991, where we won the world championships in, in Tokyo, which was an amazing race. And, and then it's over, you retire, a lot of injuries, a lot of setbacks, a lot of lessons learned throughout the career. Um, and then, yes, since then, been a, a corporate speaker, run uh, Backley Black with Steve Backley, another Olympian, where we translate our Olympic lessons and journeys into in depth into people's, uh, we share them with people in depth rather than just a, just through a speech. Um, we have a product called Mindsetting. And then I own and run Roger Black Fitness, which is uh, my own home fitness equipment brand, uh, bikes, treadmills, cross trainers, rowers, been under license for 15 years with Argos and, and in the last few months actually um now out of license so running myself direct to consumer which is on one hand a challenge because obviously you know all my money's in it and i'm dealing with factories and and, and warehouses and customers much more which i couldn't do Lagos. um but but just wonderfully rewarding to be able to connect with people and help them on their fitness journey um so yes entrepreneur um exports person family man you know three kids twins that are 15 and my daughter's 21 and my wife jules two kids and um, yeah, just sort of, as I always say, just 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 hanging in there. Just just you know, it's never been a conventional life. It's never straightforward. It's never safe. It's never secure. Never has been. Sometimes I crave that stability, um, but I've accepted that that that's never been part of my life. It was never my life as an athlete, and it's never been my life as a as as someone who's who's self-employed and and, and an entrepreneur. Thanks, Roger. And I. I wanted to, um, you know, one of the reasons I really wanted to, to do a, a podcast with you is because the, the, the PJ Tips podcast, they're about really trying to inspire and inform leaders to, you know, lead better business, to, to lead change. Um, and, and I'm fascinated by the, the practical elements of leadership. There's, there's plenty of theory of leadership out there, right? You can get loads of books on that stuff. But it's the practical mm. application. And when I met you 20, whatever it was, years ago, um, I didn't know you then. Two things really, really clear for me. One was how easy it is to connect with you. Um, is there, a, you know, you're very connectable. I don't know if that's a word, but we'll make it up. You're, mm. not, you're very connectable. Well, thank you. But, thank but, you. but also very practical. And when I've heard your speeches and some, you know, you, you can hear some great speeches out there. They're inspirational. They inspire for a short period of time, but they're not applicable. Um, and so, so, so I really wanted to hear from you, if you could, just about some of your thoughts on um, particularly leading self 
um, in life and in business around around sort of some of the the practical thoughts that you yeah. have on that, please. Yeah. Um, well, I think the ref- well, one word that springs to mind is authenticity. I think I've always been aware of that as a speaker that you know i could talk about lots of things to people i learned early on you know don't give people what what you think they need give them what they want and i realized very early on um that it was quite clear what people wanted when someone like myself stood up on a stage at a conference or whatever they just they you know they don't want to be bombarded by theory they want to hear your story in essence i'm a storyteller when i'm on stage and it has to be an authentic story um and it's not you know how great i am you know this is what i did to run fast people don't really connect to that it was you know what was, what were the, what were the hurdles? What were the setbacks? You know, how did it really feel to prepare and then be in that Olympic stadium? Because I'm watching you on stage, and I'm never going to be there. I will never know what that feels like. But I want to have a sense of that. And I think we all like to learn from people who have done things that we will never do. Um, so I love to listen. You know, I don't like listening to sports people. I'm not interested because I've <laughs> done that. I love listening to business people. No, I do. I love listening. I, we 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 listen. We listen selfishly when we listen to a speaker because we're trying to get something from it for us. And it all depends on the stage state we're in. Um, as you say, it's like, you know, I've read loads and loads of books on setting up business and, and, and brand and all that sort of stuff. And you can read all the books and you should read all the books. But at some point you have to connect with the things that make you go, mm, the you know, one or two things that really resonate that you can action. And it was the same as an athlete. You know, you can have all the theory, all the, all the kit, all the backup, all the coaches around you. But the bottom line is, you know, you get what you focus on. When you stand behind the line in the Olympic final, you're on your own. And the gun goes, you have to race, you have to run. Um, you have to be prepared, but you do have to deliver. And the, sim- and the simpler you make that, I found as an athlete, the better. I think you can really overcomplicate sport. You can overcomplicate business. And I'm no, I'm no you know, business guru here. I mean, I, you know, I, it, it, it's a journey. You know, I've done lots of different things. And, and I, I don't sit here as a very, very successful entrepreneur. It sounds great. You know, but it was the same as an athlete. You know, you're always sort of trying things, hanging in there. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm certainly not someone who's nailed it. Um, but but I'm always aware of my internal dialogue, and I think that's really important. You know, to a little voice inside your head, which as an athlete, my gosh, you know, if you weren't ready, would scream at you. But when you were ready, you would have peace with that voice. And I think that self-awareness, whether it's in business or whether it's in sport, very important for self leadership and then surround yourself with other people with with p- potentially good people and, and and delegate and and try and you know lead but but focus on the things that you're good at rather than try and do everything uh and i, and I think that's important as well so when you when you when you talk it, it you know you're you roger black's anonymous with the word performance it's like if we cut you in half you know like a stick of rock right. okay we'd, we'd have that word performance so i want to ask you a little bit about that but i also want to cheekily say but as a really really nice bloke how do you <laughs> balance that sort of you know performance well, at the olympic level with just being a decent bloke well i think most people are decent thank you for that you don't know me that well but i mean <laughs> uh, i mean it's interesting you know, you you, you, you nice you know you have to have an edge you know i definitely have an edge it's not as obvious as it may be with other people you cannot perform at the highest level in sport and not have an edge and you need to have an edge um and but but i i i don't know i don't know you know you can be nice because you you want people to like you you know that's not necessarily a compliment being nice you know and i don't know in business you know i think there's a balance there are some times where you 
you know, that has worked against me and it's not being nice. It's just not wanting to upset people. Um, and I learned that as an athlete as well. That was hard for me. You know, I was, I'm not brilliant at making hard decisions where I know people that really are, but, but that doesn't mean they make the right decisions. It's just, you know, you have to be authentic to who you are. I've never been overly competitive. I've never been overly ambitious. I wasn't, as I said, right at the beginning of this, you know, not to go into detail, I did not, as a 10-year-old kid, dream of going to the Olympics. And, and my dad did not, and my parents did not drive me to the track every day and, and focused me on, you can do this. Mm. I fell into the sport because I messed up my mass A level. You know, it for, it for me was like, I spent 14 years in a sport that I never even dreamt of. And I never quite, I took it seriously, but I, I never took it quite as seriously as some people. And I think, don't get me wrong, I was, ne I was very serious, but it didn't, it defined me for that period of time, but it hadn't defined me up until the age of 18. So I didn't feel the pressure and I was able to be free. And, and that was, that allowed me to, you know, I was, no, what am I saying? I was grateful to have the opportunity and the talent to be an athlete and that gratitude was the was was always there for me because it was all a bonus. Sometimes, if we expect things to happen, if we think we deserve to be successful, if we think, then you know you can come across as as very driven and 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 cutthroat. But I never had that. It was never you know it's why I never would even have considered taking drugs as an athlete. It just wasn't that important to me to to win at all costs. And nothing ever has been. I'm relatively balanced. Now I'm not saying that's a great thing. It may make you come across as a nice person, as you said, thank you. Um, but there are times where I think, I wish I was more driven. I wish I, I would have been more successful. You know, I would have probably, I don't know if I'd have been more successful as an athlete, but I probably would have run faster. Um, and certainly as a business person, entrepreneur, you know, I'm still, you know, <laughs> starting new businesses and hanging in there. And, you know, it, 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 yeah, I mean, yes, I, I, I thank you for saying I'm nice, but I take it as a compliment first. Yeah. But no, part thank of you. Always yeah, yeah. No, but thanks for unpicking that. And perhaps nice wasn't the, you know, mm. but you know, it, no. it's that performance. And, and perhaps I should have, you know, mentioned that word edge a bit because, yeah, you know, when you know when you say you, you know, you're pretty relaxed, and you know, I mean, but you know, you you took a business or you took your uh, Roger Black Fitness brand yeah. back, you know, yeah. into your ownership yeah. in the middle of COVID, you know, when yeah. when the world was yeah. falling apart, and now yeah. you're managing a global business, yeah. you know, on top of Blackly yeah. Black uh, and everything else and you I, do. And I, and I'm not relaxed, you know, you know, you know, my wife is here when she's upstairs, but if she was to say, you know, she said, yeah, right. You know, you know, my, you know, I'm not, it's, 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 you know, it's full on and it's, it's concern and, and, and worry, but you know what? I, I was the same as an athlete and, you know, it's authentically, I mean, I'm never going to be someone who's either laid back or, or, or super focused and super motivated. I sit in the middle. I always have been that person. And, and and I'm okay with that, um, uh, you know, as long as I also have people alongside me who have other skills and other attributes that can complement me, so that I can lead the business, um, orchestrate the business. But and it was the same as an athlete, you know. I can no one stands on the Olympic rostrum alone. You've always got a team behind you. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Um, um, so I've ultimately always been a team player. I've never been an individual. I've always struggled as an individual. It's the reason I didn't didn't take up athletics as a kid because I didn't like individual sport. I'm always happier in a team. I'm always happier playing games. Always happier. I'm not saying relying on other people, but working alongside someone else. Whether that's Steve Backley in business, mm -hmm. in Backley Black, or in our property business as well, 
or whether it's Chris Akabusi as my training partner as an athlete. I would not have been the athlete I was without Chris Akabusi and he wouldn't have been the athlete he is without me. Um, you know, we were individual performers, but we were team people when it came to training. And I'm the same in business. Like, I, I know myself well enough to know that I, I need to have people around me if I'm going to perform well. So it's in, really interesting to hear you talk about the, the individual stuff and then the, if I may, the team stuff. Because you know I mm. want to talk about 1991. Everybody, yeah. who I'm sure, wants to talk about yeah. 1991. Yeah. Because it's fascinating from a several, you know, from several perspectives. When you've taken these great individuals and you were, I think at one point, you were trading British records with... Um, yes, Derek, with Derek. I think, and, Derek, you, know, yeah. um, you know, John Regis is pretty good. Chris Akabusi, most people have heard of him. I think he plays yeah. a bit of golf, yeah. you know. But um, yeah. I don't know if he's any good. But um, so we, we, all, we all played last week, actually. We we. we we meet up regularly with other athletes, but the four of us meet up as regularly as we can with a whole group of other athletes. And I, and, I tell, I would and that's love. An interesting, and it's, now that's an interesting one. So those three play a lot of golf and are super competitive on the golf yeah. course. I just go along for the for the ride. I just go along for the social and then hit a few balls. And, and there's something in that, you know. I've never been able to take golf seriously, whereas they have all taken it incredibly seriously. And you know that says something about me, and it says something about them. It's no right or wrong. It's just, it's just. There's an authenticity to how I approach golf, um, and and yeah, it's a great it's a great game, and you're probably just about old enough to start playing it now, because um, obviously, like you know, guys down the golf club are sort of fifty something. Yeah, um, I really like it. I must admit, I, I mean, I pretend not to be competitive on the golf course. Um, but I mean, I would rather kill myself than lose to Chris Akabusi, mm. just so we're clear. Yeah. Because of, because of the piss taking. Right. So, yeah. um, so you, you brought together for 19, you brought together four individuals to work together to win something incredibly special. Yeah. And, and I yeah. wondered if you could, if you could just tell us how you, how you um, created that winning mindset as a force. Okay. Yeah. Well, we created it way before running around a track in, in just under three minutes in 1991. We created it through a culture, um, a culture that was handed down to us. To, to, to you know, There was a culture in the relay squad, which I look back now and you, gosh, you know, and, and was that it, the, the relay team was, was we, we, we got together socially off the track, even though we were competitors on the track. And we got to know each other. And it meant that when you then come together only a few times a year, Invariably, you know, a few days after you've all been trying to beat each other in the individual race, so someone's done well and others haven't, so you've got to cope with that. Um, we knew each other and we respected each other and we were we recognised that there was a time to be an individual and there was a time to be a team. And if you didn't buy into that culture, it was going to be very hard to, to be in that team. So in 1991, we, we did have a bit of a... Um, you know, if you're going to overanalyze it, which we can do, it was a quite quite a unique scenario that we were in. There were a couple of things that were in place. And with high performance, you do need a bit of luck, but you need things to fall into the right place. And there were two things going on. The, the primary one was, for the first time, we had four world-class athletes who were healthy and ready. You know, it, it, someone's usually injured. Someone, you know, something like that. But Derek Redman wasn't injured. I wasn't injured. We were often injured. Um, so you had four individuals who were ready. But if you analyze that team, there were only two pure 400 meter runners in that team. And that was me and Derek Redmond. So we were competing against each other all the time. But actually, John Regis was a 200 meter runner. So he wasn't really, he wasn't a competitor of anyone else in the team. He was brought in from another event. And Chris Akabusi by then was a hurdler. Um, so 
there wasn't this deep you know all four individuals fighting to beat each other every every race throughout the season there wasn't that there was there was between me and Derek but not between the four of us but the other factor here was we weren't young kids who didn't know what we were doing we were all established experienced athletes so you put those three things together a cohesive team spirit and connection um four individuals who are healthy and on top of their game plus you haven't got four individuals who are literally fighting to beat each other every day and they're told to come together as a nice happy team and pretend and that's why the four by 100 meter relay team in, the, in that era never really they didn't win anything major because yeah you know, they basically didn't didn't get on that well um and 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 we did so i think there was an, and then of course there was an opportunity that you know i had you know i was number two in the world but, but the guy who had just beaten me in the individual I lost the race. He didn't beat me. He was very good, but I could have won that. Should have won that race. So we knew we had an opportunity, and we had experience. So you put all that together in a in a cocktail, and then you do something that that was the difference, which was you change the running order. <laughs> you do something that no one else has ever ever done before because you know that you've got to take a step. You've got to dare to win, um, and then you've got the recipe for a perfect race, and that's exactly what happened. When you you. Uh, once or twice I've heard you talking about being brave and yeah. to some degree that strategy for winning in this case was changing the running order but how I've got two questions if I may one is how did you come you know to, to decide to change the running yeah. order number one and number two yeah. is you know you normally see the um you know the pin-up boy the poster boy or the you know the poster athlete they go last running you know because it's yeah. photographs running and you you yeah. gave up I mean, you know in essence I'm assuming you gave up that to run yeah. first so yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, f firstly, you, you use the word brave. It wasn't brave. It, you know, we, and, and we can tell the story and it could be perceived as brave. You know, it was a calculated risk. You know, at worst, we were going to come third or, or second. So, you know, what what were we really risking? What we were, we were risking was looking back for the rest of our lives going, why didn't we just, why didn't we do something different? Why did we just <laughs> go along with convention and do what we were told to do? So very quickly, the team management would choose the running order you're correct. The fastest runner in the team usually had a divine right to go last. That was me. I was significantly the fastest runner in the team. So the team was picked and I was to go last. I think Derek was going to go first. Chris was going to go second and John was going to go third. That was the decision that was made. And 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 I tell the story and Chris tells the story and, and you know, it's a funny story and whatever. But it is true. The decision to change the running order was made at two o'clock in the morning in our hotel room between me and Chris Akabusi. We we discussed it, discussed it. And we and we had awareness. We knew that if we didn't do if if we the, 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 there's something about relay running that is why you, you see athletes who, who don't do that well individually, put them put them with a baton in their hand, running behind somebody, they do incredible things. A good friend of ours called Phil Brown in the eighties was famous for doing that. Because when you're chasing somebody in one lane rather than running in you know running in your own lane as an individual mm. it's a completely different psychology um so whoever's on the second third and fourth lap is usually chasing you know you're fighting in, in right next to somebody you're not in a in a separate lane but what we knew was was that the americans were so much better than us not, not me because i was the world silver medalist but the other three put them in an individual race with those guys they they, they, they would have all got beaten you know, not, yeah, they all would, would say that I mean, but significantly as well not Derek but John and Chris would be but but we knew that that what to win the race we had to be in the lead we had to be in the lead and the Americans had to chase us for the first 
two laps. Because when you're American and you're ahead and you're running free and you're better than the guy behind you, you just go. But when you're running behind somebody, you've got to deal with them, you've got to connect with them, you've got to think about them a little bit. So we knew that to win, I had to go first because I was the only person who could have a lead. And we basically did the race in reverse. So, <laughs> yeah, f- fastest guy first, second fastest guy second to either extend it but keep us in contention. And then, you know, and then as long as John Regis isn't ahead, we didn't want him ahead. He, you know, he could be inspired to sit behind um, Danny, uh, Danny Everett, who was the American, who was much better than him at 400 meters. And then Chris Akabusi, as long as he was stuck behind Antonio Petrovic, the world champion, um, we had a chance. Because if Chris had been ahead of Antonio Petrovic, we'd never have won. Petrovic would have would have comfortably come past Chris because it's so it's so much easier to to track somebody. So yeah, we looked, we worked it out, and it, and it worked. But the you led in your in your sort of question to you know the, the I you know the, the best athlete has a divine right to run last, and you're right. You know if if I if you if you run last and you win, you're in the paper. And you know Chris Akabusi won on the last lap and has trade has, has has cashed in on it for the last thirty <laughs> years, and we all have. But he really has. But he will always say you know the race was won. The race was won. We, the, 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 I mean, I'll be flippant. It wasn't one after the first lap, but it all fell into place. And and the other significant thing about that race, and I've been in teams where this hasn't happened, by the way, is that all four of us had a very clear job to do. I had to give us a lead. Derek had to keep us in contention. John had to keep us in contention, and Chris had to 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 be inspired and 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 come around at the end. We were all incredibly clear what our individual jobs in that team were to do. And we all executed them perfectly. There's no doubt about that. You know, I I can overanalyze this race, but um, there's no we, we absolutely everyone executed their job, and that's that's why it, it unfolded the way it did. And it is an amazing race, and it is an amazing race. So it's a combination of all those factors. It's not just one thing. It's all those little factors that come together. But the most important thing was an awareness that Chris and I had the evening before the final. There was an awareness that we had an opportunity to win, but we weren't going to win unless we changed the running order. That's um, that's amazing. I mean, I've, I've you know, I've heard that before, but I, again, I haven't heard it with such clarity, which is no. why you know you you share that so eloquently. But can I also just you know from from an outsider, one thing that I've you know noticed, or perhaps just wanted to ask you a little bit about was you know. Um, Adair's leadership, I know we said we wouldn't talk about theory, but Adair's, you know, leadership, yeah. you know, theory, action-centered leadership, right? You know, about um individual team and task needs. It seems yes. like you really nailed it, right? Because you know, individuals, and uh, you know, there's a piece about I think you just said about um, you know, Chris Akabuti wanting um John Regis to, you know, to to hand him the bat and slightly be, you know, slightly behind. Yeah. And yet, you know, I've heard John talk saying, Well, actually, I think I could have overtaken him, but I yes. didn't yeah. because Chris didn't want it. Um, I was Correct. I was meeting Chris's needs number Correct. one. The Correct. team Correct. also Correct. wanted this to be done, and therefore Correct. the task is to win. So, Correct. yes Correct. or no, yeah, hundred percent correct. Now, John, you know whether John could or couldn't have overtaken the American. I'll tell you one thing: if John had had a moment of madness and decided to overtake the Americans, we'd never have won. Never have won. Never have won. In fact, I'll tell you, I'll tell you where we're overanalyzing a race that people listening haven't seen. If you see it on YouTube, if I had to say at what point in the race did we win the race? For me, there was one clear moment in the race where we won the race and we didn't do it. 
the American on the second leg, a guy called Quincy Watts, who the next year became the Olympic champion. Derek Redmond, when he took the baton from me, was a few meters ahead. And he just went out and ran and ran. And Quincy Watts chased him, caught him. He ran it the fastest lap of the day. And Quincy Watts just overtook Derek to hand over to the American on third lap, probably two or three meters ahead of John Regis. If Quincy Watts had just jogged and sat behind Derek Redmond yeah. and handed over to John to his guy who who did the same behind John Regis and did and jogged, didn't even expend any energy and jogged and handed the baton to the American on the fourth lap on the last lap, just behind Chris Akabusi, there is no way on earth they would have lost that race. They would have comfortably beaten us. That moment when Quincy Watts decided to, because he felt great, I'm gonna, and he ran 43 something seconds. That's the moment we didn't win. That's the moment they lost the race. That, 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 there's no doubt about that. That would have changed the whole race. They would have jogged around and beaten us because they would have stayed behind us until the end. And, and what, by going into the lead, Quincy Watts gave us the race because it allowed John Regis to chase. John Reed just to just not think, but to chase and sit and sit and sit. And he could have, he says he could have gone past the guy on the third leg. If he had done that, we would have lost. It was, you know, um, you know it, it's it's having a race plan and sticking to it. And you, so the race plan, I, you know, I, I get, because again, that's the strategy piece. But what seems to underlie, and I, and I you know, the, the, the strategy is important, I get it. But underneath that seems an incredible respect from you guys, because you could have had a moment of madness. You know, sometimes you see it, we've seen it on Formula One, you know, live every couple of weeks on TV. You know, you hear something about race orders and then someone overtakes somebody else yeah, and all kicks off because they just that, do I've it. Had but you teams. guys didn't. I've had it. No, and I've, and I've been in teams where that has happened and we've lost. We haven't won. I've seen that, I've seen that happen. And, because, and it happens, you know, it happens in with 100,000 people in the stadium cheering you on, you feel great. It's quite hard to stick to the plan sometimes when you feel great. <laughs> <laughs> so you, in, when you, you, there's something I want to talk to you about, and I just want to just see if I've kind of got this right. Um, there's something about, um, you know, 50 years ago or thereabouts, we put a man on the moon and technology is as advanced I mean, monumentally, right? Um, you know, even in the last probably 18 months, we've seen significant uh, changes in tech. Yet emotionally, we we don't seem to have advanced a great deal. You know, you, you think what you did in, in 1991 from an emotional perspective, you know, a relationship perspective, having different, difficult, perhaps, or, you know, challenging conversations. And, and change is failure intensive, right? But you... You change yeah. something successfully, so you you've reversed that successfully. But we still struggle with relationships, and you didn't. You know, you nailed good relationships. You talked when you talked about culture earlier. I mean, it was incredibly engaging. You had those conversations. You made the changes. Why can't we replicate it in business today? Well, I think I think one of the reasons that it was easy to have a good relationship in in the, in the athletic environment with the people I was with is that you're you're alongside people who have a shared common goal and and have a clarity of that goal. You know, the four of us, and also the two of the guys, you know, two other guys, Mark Rich and Addy Matthew, are in the squad. But but if you share a common goal and a common purpose, then it's much easier to have a, 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 an authentic relationship with somebody. You know, my relationship with Chris Akabusi. Let's look at my relationship with Chris Akabusi. Chris Akabusi is firstly a black man who 
who who who was um, who came over to Nigeria, but, but his parents sent him and his brothers to Nigeria and grew up in children's homes. Okay, as he says, Roger got ten O levels. I got I got ten no levels. You know, he got no. You know, he, did, he didn't get any. He had an education, but didn't you know messed around at school. He went into the army and found athletics, and and then buddies up with a, a white middle class son of a doctor who's come out of a grammar school with 11 O levels and three A levels, messes one up, but still can become a doctor and, and read medicine at university, which I started to do a year later. You know, as he calls, you know, the, the bourgeoisie white middle class, you know, Lord Black, he called, calls me. On the surface, you could not have two more different people on the surface. When you look at me and Krasna Kabusi, it's not hard to see that those people are different, okay? Well, I'll tell you this is we have differences. But what we learned was our differences made us unique, but it was our similarities that made us champions. And we have a connection as strong today as it was when we were running together. We have an understanding and a connection on a very deep level as two human beings that I don't have with many other people. Very few people. In fact, I have a, a, no, I don't have a, the depth of that with anyone else. And the reason for that is that for 10 years, we shared a common vision, a common goal, and we we were dependent on each other for us both to achieve it individually and when we ran a relay collectively. That's a powerful thing and it's a very hard thing to find because in business, you know, I'm very fortunate that I run my business with predominantly Steve Backley and I have I have a very similar connection with Steve, but maybe that's because we're both athletes so we have a, a, gen, a shared understanding, a shared experience and whatever. But with other people that I work with, I don't have that connection and, and I'm not brilliant at that i try but i think anyone listening will relate to that it's very hard to have that and the great leaders do have that they have they are able to have that connection with with lots of people i was able to have that connection when i was an athlete because we had a shared vision a shared goal and we needed each other to to achieve that does that make sense because i think i think that's really that's a really powerful thing because i think it's it, it doesn't mean yeah, without giving too many details away, I think most top athletes, top performers are fundamentally flawed. What I've told you sounds great, but it doesn't translate into personal relationships. No. no. Okay. Um, and it's not a coincidence that the vast majority of, of high performing athletes, people I I know, you know, and I'm real the list of, we've all had failed relationships. So there's, you know, it, there is a flip side to high performance. There is a flip side to achievement. Um, it doesn't necessarily translate to a, ba a balanced um, a balanced life and a ba and balanced relationships. Having the shared vision and the shared goal which sport gave us was a very, very, very precious thing. Thank you for sharing that. Because uh, genuinely, because when you when you see, um, and I was, I, found I was watching an old uh, BBC uh, recording of of Chris talking, you know, about yeah. athletics, and so he's very open about you know children's homes and diverse things. Yeah, um, but. But he also talks about you, and there's one bit where I think he refers to you, or he does refer to as Roger Pretty Boy Black. Yeah. But, yeah. but the yeah. and I was going to use the word love, and I uh, yeah, yeah. please don't tell that he yeah. loves you. No, you're right. But no, but I it, love him. And yeah. there's a real yeah, and there's something in there. But the the funny thing is, and it's it sort of so when I when you won 1991, go back to that. There's I never I never thought about Black Lives Matter. I never thought about diversity no. and inclusion. I you know I've got to tell no. you. I thought more about your ridiculous shorts 
and why yeah. you weren't wearing those yeah. lycra pants. And I did. Yeah. I just saw yeah. four blokes win. Yeah. And, but but yeah. why? And I, I guess I, it's almost like why we why have we got? I don't know. We, we seem to be talking about more diversity now. But then I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. But um, well, I know where you're going with that because because it's the beauty of sport, isn't it? It's the it's the beauty of sport. I <laughs> I worked in an I I went to 18 years old. And I operated as a sprinter in an environment where I was a minority. I was a white sprinter. I was a minority. Okay, but but I never felt like it. It was not. It was you know that can never feel like being a being Chris Akabusi or Linford Christie or you know walking down the high street and feeling you know that I never experienced what they experienced and they did experience it. But the beauty of athletics, this is really important. The beauty of sport, the beauty of athletics is that you're not judged on your colour, you're not judged on your education, you're not judged on how you look. I mean, it might help you off the track. You're judged on one thing. How fast can you run? There's no there's no subjectivity to a 400-metre race. It's very simple. If I cross the line first, I get a gold medal. If you come, if I come second, I get a silver. Third, you're measured on time and position. There's no ambiguity to it. I mean, behind it, you go, oh, is that person on drugs or not? But put that to one side. That's a, there's a beauty to that clarity that is very hard to find in anything else in life. It's very hard to find in business. It's why most athletes at the end of their career really struggle because that clarity will never be there. You drift, you don't know what, and you spend the rest of your life trying to, to have a degree of clarity. Even if you're Seb Coe's done incredible things and has achieved enormous things and, and is just so impressive, he'll always say, nothing was like being an athlete because I knew what I was, who I was, and what I was trying to achieve. And, and that bond of clarity of vision that bond of shared um vision that chris sakabusi and i had there's no color involved in that there's no color involved in you know i'm racing against you you're a different color. It's, it, 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 it's almost laughable i mean when i get together with the athletes regularly it doesn't cross any of our minds and the banter between us is in some ways if you were to record it and play it, you would think it's horrific. And it's not one way, it's to yeah. banter. But it, 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 is, it is there because we are bantering as athletes and we and the, and the colour of our skin is a total irrelevant. Now, it's not irrelevant off the track if you're walking around, around, you know, it's, you know clearly, you know, I'm sure, you know, I've never, I don't know what it's like. I've never had that, okay? My motivation to run fast could never be like Chris's or, or Linford's or, or Davies or or, or, or or any black man. I could never have that, okay? And, and 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 Chris will always say it was harder for me than it was for him because of him, the motivation was so strong because it was significant. So he could get, you know, you can't question me. I've got a gold medal in my pocket. <laughs> you may not like the colour of my skin, but so what? So, you know, yeah. and, 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 and that's the beauty of... Yeah. When, when we the, the, when the three guys went to take the, the penalties in the Euro, you know, we watched it as a family. I only ever thought one thing. I, I thought, God, they're really young to be doing this. Never crossed my mind. I know one kid. He's not. I say, kid, he's nineteen. No. Yeah, I, mean, God, I, I, God, I, I could, I could barely do. Pressure. I could yeah. barely do now, my shoelaces at nineteen. No, no. I'm sure my friends, uh, you know, who, who would be going, God, God, these are three black guys that, that are taking the last three penalties. I didn't see it. You know, now I'm not. Maybe I should have done. You know, maybe that's the whole thing. You know, but 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 I just thought, God, they're, they're pretty young to be doing this. But I think as a sports person, where which is colourblind, I was so privileged to 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 be in a world that was colourblind on the track. Okay, I don't. You know, 
pe- pe- people watching may watch completely differently because they use their own prejudices and biases. But as an athlete, you know, it just doesn't it just doesn't cross our mind. And 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 Chris will say the same. Not not off the track, but certainly on the track. So yeah, yeah, it's 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 an interesting point. Um, and it's why I love sport and sport and theatre. You know, you know, it's it's quite a, not all sport. If if there's an element of sport where someone where your future is in someone's decision, someone can choose you or not, or like you or not. So you know, I'm not a you know if you're in in my sport of of running, there's no choice to be made. If I if I'm in the race and I cross the line first, I've won. It doesn't matter. That was such a a uh, oh, it was it. it, it I'm so fortunate to have been in that environment. You know, I never, I never, I never ran thinking, "Oh God, I'm the only white guy in this race. I've got no chance." Because it didn't matter. As I beat, uh, beat, I beat, it was colourblind. It was completely colourblind. Oh, Roger, and, thanks. And what a wonderful, yeah, yeah, what a oh, wonderful, okay. yeah, place to be. It's because clearly the world isn't. It, clearly, a lot of people in the world aren't like that, are they? No, and they're not. And I, I know. I mean, that's one. I, I. Uh, it, you know, I, I struggle with it, as I say, because I just, it, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I love your, you know, this notion of colour colour blind bit, but um, as I, I was so proud. I am. I, I, I mean, I was teary. I've, I've, you know, I mean, I've been in watching that nine times. I've watched it on repeat, you know, because it's just four yes. guys, you know, yeah. em- emulating. Peter, Peter, yeah, on. Peter, let me tell you something. During the lockdown, when the Black Lives Matter thing happened, we have a WhatsApp group of athletes, um, the guys in the relay, a lot of other guys as well. And when it happened, you know, there was a lot on the WhatsApp group about it. And, 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 and you know, all my black friends were, were commenting on it, whatever. And I made a comment on it to, to them just saying, like, really, I really feel, you know, f- feel for you. They would use the phrase brothers, you know. And, and I said, you know, I really feel for you guys, you, you, bro- you, you know, your brothers, you know, I'm really, really just, just, you know. And Derek Redman came straight back, straight back on WhatsApp and said, Roger, you are you are our brother. Okay. Now that's significant because he's saying we're not brothers because of it. Like you are our brother, Brian Whittle. You are our brother. We're, you know, and that's the bond of sport that we had. You know, it wasn't. I could never feel what they feel, but but to, to, Derek, to Derek to say, you know, there's no difference between you and me here. You know, you know, and that's a very precious thing. That's a very rare thing that sport it gave all of us. And sport gives young people. That's why you know, if young people are active in sport, they, they are. You know, forget the performance. They're in a. They should be in a a a, a colorblind environment because it's all about performance. It's all about sport. It's not about about. You know, it's about the person. I mean, I love what you know. What sport offers my my kids. Um, you know, one of them's just gone up now. He's 11. So he's changing schools because he's been in other sports clubs outside. He's not going to a new school on his own because he's, you know, that these, these kids are merging, but you know, a lot, I mean, uh, you know, he does quite a lot of swimming just very quickly, but what, what's fun is, you know, the respect, the trust, the group. Yes. It's kind of totally. individual, but they hang out together. They, they support yeah. each other. I went to get him the other day from something and the girl came out. I, I don't know. And she saw, are you, you know, your tease, um, dad, he swam really well today. I wish him happy birthday and congratulate him on his new PB. And you sort of think, wow, you know, and there's nothing in it for her. That's just, that's just the camaraderie of these, these kind of kids hanging out. So I, I mean, but, but it comes back to, but it comes back to what I was saying earlier, that they had a shared vision. They had a shared connection, a shared 
goal. I, I, my wife works in youth theatre, she's a director, and it's the same with a group of young kids acting. You know, it's the shared vision of the performance. And we're here to talk about performance. But, you know, what we're touching on here is that, you know, performance isn't just about how fast you can run or how good you are at what you do in business. What performance gives you, a shared vision of performance as a group, is it gives you a clarity of connection that is far goes far deeper than just you know what medals you've got and how successful your business is you know it, it's about people having that shared vision and if you don't have a shared vision it's very hard then i believe in life to have a connection you asked the question about the relay and i came back to it you know the number one thing there was the shared vision that that bonded us first and foremost and then the rest fell into place well, I was going to I was going to ask you just for a couple of you know top tips on leading business change to close, but you know, right. is there anything that can top shared vision? Because you know, you you've said that with such, um, you know, such depth and, and clarity. I'm just wondering. I, think, um, I, think, I just I just think for me is the starting point. I think you know, if you look at my sport of athletics, you know, talent is very important. No one's going to go to the Olympic Games unless they've got a high degree of talent. That's the cruelty of sport. You know, certainly in the natural sport of running or whatever. You know, put put everything else side drugs or whatever but just you can be the most you can be born the most talented sprinter in the world and we'll never hear about you because you know you you just didn't go down to that track or you lived in a place where you had no one to train with or, or whatever okay so talent cannot be the primary factor the primary factor has to be we're calling it shared vision i would call it passion you know when we at Battle black when we deliver our sort of stuff we start with with finding your passion yeah. finding your vision because as long as you have that beacon of light in the future that you're aiming towards, then you'll find a way to get there. You will. I mean, there's, I don't know if you know, there was a thing about the Olympics, and I, I love the story of Kelly Holmes, which, which people don't really understand how bad and how hard it was for Kelly three years before she won her two Olympic gold medals in 2004. You know, but, but there are lots of reasons for her successes. But one was she never let go of her vision. She, you know, and if you hear her interviews, she, she had this incredible belief and drive that she could be an Olympic champion. I know, and that sounds corny. And a lot of people say it, but she really stuck to it. You know, she, she could have given up and she didn't. And I think that that's a powerful thing. <laughs> that's a really powerful thing. If you have that, that, that individual vision, but if you can then share that with other people, yeah. Then, then you know, whatever is in front of you, you will find a way around those obstacles. And so, for me, it has to start with that that vision and that show. And I didn't have that as a ten year old, as a kid. But I'll tell you what: as soon as I met Chris Akabusi and Todd Bennett and a group of other guys in Southampton, I started realizing, oh, well, I'm quite good at this. Hmm. You know, my talent was the same. What changed in my life was I suddenly had a vision that I could go to the Olympic Games, and I wasn't doing it on my own. Right on that on that note, Roger. I know, listen, I know you've got to go, but I, I mm. listen. It's fabulous listening to you. And I really mm. thank you so much, um, uh, you know, for sharing your thoughts with us today. Mm. So, um, just in closing, then, thanks to uh, Roger Black, a truly great British Olympian. If you if you want to look Roger up, um, BackleyBlack.com and uh, Roger Black Fitness. Rod yeah, that's the, that's the important one at the moment. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah Roger Black Fitness, Roger Black Fitness. We can say that a couple of times. <laughs> no, Obviously, I'm back to back. Uh, PJ Stevens with my PJ Tips podcast on leading business change. I hope you've been inspired by this. And finally, this is just once again, Roger, you are absolutely superb. Thank you. Thanks, PJ. Pleasure.